Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 150th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Brian Charles Lehrer. Thanks, Brian. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we have Darren Lynn Bozeman and Sabrina Kern. They are the director and star of the new horror film, St. Agatha. And Darren Lynn Bozeman is, this is, he said, maybe his 14th feature film? He's a little foggy on it, but like he's definitely got a... He's done some things. He's directed in the teens. Saw 2, Saw 3, Saw 4. He also wrote Saw 2. He directed Repo. The Genetic Opera with yeah. Paris Hilton. <laughs> and, and a bunch of other stuff. He's a really fascinating genre director uh, who got his start early but has found uh, sustainability in making movies uh, and also kind of exploring other different artistic avenues that we get into a little bit as well. So we talk about uh, what it takes to make a great horror film, um, a sustainable career, a lot of his tips and tricks. He's a really fascinating guy. Um, and so he just kind of unloads a ton of stuff about... Um, what they don't teach you in film school. So and we also, right. yeah, and we also find out from Sabrina how she her first feature film role ever was the lead in this movie, <laughs> directed by Darren. Yeah, so so quite an adventure. So if you want to check out a, a little flavor of Saint Agatha, we'll have the trailer uh, on our show notes at justshootedpod dot com. If you want to check that out, if you're on a computer already, or you could even watch the movie. It's out on VOD already um but it's if, probably also in theaters if you're listening to this the day the episode comes out yeah correct so um so check it out uh, and if not we kind of catch you up to speed on everything but basically it's about a young woman who um through kind of mysterious circumstances finds herself uh at a convent because she is pregnant and is trying to give birth to this baby and becomes 
locked in kind of a psychological warfare that gets even uglier and more gruesome and scary. Yeah, none on none conflict. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, before we get into this conversation, it was quite long, but we did want to read some iTunes reviews because it's been a while. Yeah, and thanks we have everyone. Some great ones. iTunes reviews are one of the most important things that you can do to support the show. Uh, because that is the way that iTunes recommends our show to other people who would probably like it. Okay. From patron Zach Dalton, he says, Perfect for working filmmakers. Love getting insight from these directors. Uh, it's perfect for trying to navigate the journey through commercial and other work. Hey, thanks, Zach. That was the idea. Yeah. From Saul, a kid from Vegas, he says it's fun, modern, and all caps applicable, which I think is, is at least for me, one of the goals of the show. He said, I once heard someone say that if you want to do something, you have to do two things. One, find people who have done what you want to do, and two, do what they did. Just jump, just shoot it. These two dudes don't know me, but should know that they are consistently a source of information for some kid who decided to have dreams. They teach me things that don't come up on Google, things that people on YouTube don't have firsthand experience with. It's well worth the days of listening, and if you have the money, support them on Patreon. Hey, hey. patreon.com slash just shoot a bud. I added that part. Uh, myself um you guys should sell some t-shirts i'd buy one <laughs> and i feel like you read this and you were like hmm should i need some new t-shirts should we sell some t-shirts yeah okay if if 30 people <laughs> email us and say they we, would buy a t-shirt i would consider doing like a limited edition run like i get that like some people like to own a t-shirt um, yeah or, I mean, or, or if we have like a cool project like if it was like hey if we sell these hundred t-shirts then we can send madeline to the moon yeah, well, if yeah. you're interested in a Just Shoot a T-shirt, let us know. Tweet at us. Yeah, yeah tweet at us. Or, or us. drop it in a uh, review. That'd be yes. even better. <laughs> or make a short film about it. <laughs> awesome. From Wowee, the perfect podcast for film students. Maybe one day I'll get somewhere because of these insights. Thanks, fam. Sorry, this is by Nate Did. The, <laughs> the review name was Wowee. Um, cool. <laughs> and right. now. Thanks, Nate. For the final review with the best title. Not just the Burton Ernie of podcasts from the real Morgasmo. It really uh, does make me laugh. <laughs> a review left today. Just shoot it delves into commercial shooting as well as narrative like a boss. Behind the scenes adventures combined with onset lessons of not just successful but also disastrous film shoots. There's insight here that you will not find on other film podcasts, and it's a wonderful adventure of two odd couple directors and creative madmen at their absolute best and worst. Thanks for your, the transparency, the unpaid endorsements, and most of all, the amazing content and guest interviews. You complete me. Man, what I, a great review. I will say the real Morgasmo like ended the review with you complete me dot 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 ellipsis, mm-hmm. which I just think is the worst way you can end the sentence you complete me uh, in an in incomplete way. But aside from that, I have no notes. I think it's a great review. No, honestly, it's one of my favorite reviews. So thanks, thanks uh, Morgasmo. <laughs> and I apologize if we've been sending emails to the fake Morgasmo. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, cool. Do we? I mean, there are a few f bombs in this episode. Do we need to tell people about that? Well, I kind of always just assumed that our podcast would be so boring for children that, <laughs> like, that they would tune it out. But yeah, I would consider it. Parents would just put on Planet Money or something that would entertain them even more than our show. Right? Because on iTunes it says clean lyrics. So just in case you're listening, yeah, yeah, there's a few with kids in the car. Yeah, yeah, we do talk about um, horror movies and the things that are in horror movies. A little bit. So if you're sensitive to that stuff, maybe skip this episode or listen on your own. Well, uh, just one final plug. If you want to support us, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. We really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, it's just money we use to pay our editor and do live events and get gear and do all that stuff that podcasts 
need to do. Yeah, maybe we can just go to the moon thanks to our Patreon. Yeah. No worries about t-shirts. Yeah, why send Madeline there? Yeah. We'll go there. I want to go to the moon. Okay. All right. Now let's talk to some guests. Hey, we've got Darren and Sabrina here. Thank you for coming over. Hi, guys. Thank you for having us. Hey. I want to ask Darren real quick. How many features have you directed? I don't know. I was trying to think of that on the way over here because someone asked me. I think 12, but 13. Depends. If I count the Devil's Carnival as them, then that's 14. If you don't count Devil's Carnival, then 12, I think. And this one was number 13, if you say 14? Wait, I think think I've done 14 as in the death of me. The one I just finished is number 14. This would have been number 13. Wait, I'm sorry. It's not two, three, four. I don't know. (laughs) It's really bad. And that's that neighborhood. I've been very very lucky. I uh, did my first film when I was 25. Saw two. I was 25 when I shot it. Uh, and I've been able to make a movie a year, and in some cases, two movies a year since I started. Wow. And are you writing also? Yeah, I started off. I, was, I, I never thought myself as a director. I always thought I was just going to be a writer. I've sold a few screenplays that I have not shot, but like I wrote Saw 2. I wrote The Barons. I wrote Eleven Eleven, And then uh, I sold my script called The Desperate to Lionsgate, and then uh, they made my script, The Desperate, into Saw 2. They let me direct it. So originally, it was just sold as a writer. Wait, how did they let you direct? Like, were you fighting to direct it, or were they just like, yeah? Uh, yeah so is, I also, saw two. Saw one was a, a surprise, like not, not, hit, not right? at the time that I did it. So um, I was. I'll give you the quick. And I've told the story a million times, so I'm going to give the very truncated version of it. I was uh, in LA. I was a PA. I was on X Files. I was fired. I was on Van Wilder. I was fired. Um, every job Why I had, were you I was, fired? I was, I was terrible. I was a really bad PA. Um, Van Wilder filmed at UCLA while yeah. I was at UCLA. Are you serious? I was yeah. Tara Reed's assistant during this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, now I she's was, your assistant. I know I was getting, uh, I was getting really angry and bitter just about what my job was. My job was to get laundry. It was to, uh, fill coffee. I was getting yelled at a lot. And uh, I started writing this script called the desperate about my desperation, uh, in life. I was running out of money. I was running out of options. And so while I was on Van Wilder and X-Files, I was writing the script about desperation. And uh, that script ended up selling, uh, and it was going to be its own movie called The Desperate. That same time, Saw had just gone to Sundance, but it was not huge. I mean, it did well at Sundance, but it was not a hit. That's uh, so interesting to think. I've, I didn't remember that it yeah. was at Sundance. Yeah, it was at Sundance. And so uh, they Lionsgate needed a quick sequel. And uh, they wanted to have it come out the next year. And they knew that they to start over from the beginning would have been a huge thing. So they wanted a starting point. And so all of a sudden, The Desperate became a fast track to be the next Saw film. And then, uh, Did you have an agent or anything when you were no, a I did I basically lied and I made up a fake agency and a fake management company. And I made up letterhead and I had a, uh, an outgoing voicemail. And this would never work today because if you have Google... Uh, I made up an agency and I had friends at that time when uh, the sale happened, I was working at APA. And so I knew the inner workings of how things worked. And so I had... And APA is an agency. Yeah, it's an agency. I had other friends that were assistants all write fake coverage for my script. So there was all this fake coverage circulating on the desperate and no one had read the script. So I had people from all the different agencies and I... Uh, so I set up a, an outgoing voicemail and I put up a fake name on the script and I had fake coverage going on the script. So all of a sudden, we started getting calls. People wanted to read the script because they read the coverage. And I did not have an agency, and the script was not finished. Um, did you write the coverage and just send it I, to your friends? I wrote my version of the coverage and sent it to three other people and asked them to write their own version based on that. But they hadn't. There was no script. No. And so uh, 
then I started getting phone calls and uh, I quickly, that motivated me to finish the script and uh, luckily it worked. And so it was all a ruse. None of it was real. Uh, the management company, the agency, none of it was real. And then luckily the script worked and people liked it and uh, I sold it. And uh, yeah, the me getting attached to directing was, I was attached to direct The Desperate. It was going to be like a small movie, like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, nothing movie. Uh, and so my lawyer at the time, because when I sold that, I got a lawyer. She made a great addition to the contract that says Darren is attached to the desperate or any variation thereof. Well, a variation of the desperate was saw too. Mm-hmm. So that was my first in. And then I had to meet with all the execs at Lionsgate. That was one of the most terrifying meetings of my life because I'd never done anything. I mean, I'd done like a bad short film, some bad music videos. Film school? You hadn't really even been in many meetings yet. No. Right? Uh, yeah. And I'm sitting. Wait, in, you did go to film school? Like, so. I did go to film school. I went to a yeah. place, well, I went to a place called Full Sail in Florida. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, I bullshitted my way through the meeting, and I, uh, I told them that I. They asked if I'd ever directed anything. I said, I said I've won a lot of awards for my short films. And they said, What kind of shorts? And I said, Horror shorts. And this guy named Pete Block goes, uh, Darren, we'd love to see one of those. Uh, can you can you pr- produce one for us? And I said, Yeah, I'll bring it in on Monday. And this is like a Thursday. And so I left the meeting and I called my mom and I was like, guys, I need some money right now. And uh, my parents sent me money and I quickly went out and shot a short film. Uh, Joe White, who is the cinematographer of St. Agatha, shot this short film. So this would have been in 2002, maybe 2003. We shot this short film called Zombie. Uh, you could actually find it on the Saw 2 special edition. I edited it over the weekend and on Monday morning I brought it into Lionsgate and I got it. So... That is you always killer. hear stories like this, That's and I'm so when just thinking about it, like I'm kind of exhausted. Like, <laughs> and I told you guys the truth. I want to take a one nap. second. There's there's so much more like misdirect and like me doing horrible things to get, but it's it it worked out. Wow. Yeah. So Sabrina, did you do? You told me that this was your first lead role well, in Saint Agatha. Story. No, this you want to hear a, a coming to Hollywood story that involves Saint Agatha. Sabrina, tell your story about meeting me and how you got this. Oh my god. That sounded really bad. That sounded really how you got this. <laughs> Tell the story. <laughs> right. well, yeah, yeah, I want to hear what you faked Sounds and misdirected crazy. in order to I land did, in this I didn't film. fake anything, but yeah, so it's honestly not just the first lead in a feature film. It is my first feature film. Um, I'm from Switzerland, and I moved here five years ago, and then two years into that, did we meet three years ago? 2016. So yes, three years ago. Um, so two years into my being in the U.S., I was just about to, I was on a student visa, and then you have to like get the work mm-hmm. visa situation, and... I was um, actually like, working with an immigration lawyer, which you have to do to get a work visa. Mm-hmm. And it was super hard. And I just had come out of a meeting that where my immigration lawyer, bless him, he actually did end up getting me the visa, um, was like, uh, this is not looking good. Like, I don't think this is going to happen for you. And then I'm in my car. Right? Yes, it was pre-Trump. I was in my car crying and then I get a, a number, a call from a block number. And I don't know why I picked it up. I usually don't. And then a guy on the other end, Darren, says, hi, my name is Ellis Gordon. He always fucking lies. Okay. But I had a reason for lying, but go ahead. Okay, yes, yes. So he was like, okay, I'm doing this immersive theater project. It, um, it's something like Sleep No More. Have you seen Sleep No More? And I was like immediately hooked because I love Sleep No More. Mm-hmm. And then um, he said, okay, if you want to know anything else about it, um, you have to sign an, a non-disclosure agreement and send it right back. So immediately, still in my car, still kind of crying, I download like a signing app and I immediately sign it, send it back, go home, and then um, throw on some makeup. Wait, wait, then- but does Ellis Gordon say like, 
I saw your name like on a Ellis list Gordon somewhere. at this no Ellis Gordon at this point does not even explain to me I think I don't think you explained to me how you even got to my name I'm still a little bit iffy <laughs> on the, how you thing, got to my name weird about this is, by the way I save so she I'm gonna let her finish the story but I uh <laughs> yeah, your dad's on like backstage or LA casting you had responded to something from like six months earlier so it wasn't even a recent thing. So you had responded to something like months earlier, and I, you were in the checkbox about maybe call back at some point if it ever comes up. <laughs> so so this call comes like six months after you applied for whatever it was that I'm calling you for. He had a random headshot lying around. He just called called that girl, and that was me. Um, anyway, so then he FaceTimes me, and then he FaceTimes me in the background as like the Saw poster. And and then he's like, yeah, um, so my name is actually Darren Lynn Bowsman. I actually walk around with Saw posters in my car. <laughs> <if> I <laughs> talk to someone at one time. You have like a, it's like a doggy cam, yeah. but it's like on the, your back. You yes. have a soft poster. So, but even douchier is the next line when he goes, <laughs> when he goes, yeah, my name is Darren Lynn Bowsman. I directed Saw 2, 3, and 4. You can like look me up on IMDb if That's you want. not what I said. <laughs> That's that totally what you said. What said. That, that is absolutely no. It's like IMDb de- slash NM slash 5775. So anyway, I knew who he was because I've been a huge fan of Saw. Actually, for my makeup final at acting school, um, when all the other girls did something like pretty and cute, I did Jigsaw. Um, so then I met with you like the next day, maybe Darren, and I was supposed to be a small role in the immersive theater project, The Tension Experience. And then the audience had a really good reaction to it and I became the lead of it. And then after that, I got my e- visa pretty easily, thanks to Darren. And then now here I am. So now you're on Just Tune It. Exactly. So um, during the Tension Experience, uh, there was a one of the the line producer of the Tension Experience, this guy named Sir John Stackick. And wait, what, so sorry, can you just give us a real quick rundown of what an immersive theater? Oh, thing there's is? no there's no quick rundown of the Tension Experience. Right. Uh, but what you, an immersive oh, theater? What an, what what an immersive, plays, an immersive yeah. experience is where the audience is in control of the narrative. They get to maneuver and interact with the world any way they see fit. And so the closest thing I can compare it to is Westworld. Um, or that we, episode of Girls. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> where they go to an immersive theater. Well, have you guys ever seen the the David Fincher film, The Game? Sure. That's what we do. It's 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 the closest thing to what I think we do. Where basically we um, engage a variety of different people and we begin to manipulate their lives over the court. They have to sign a, a huge waivers and contracts. And basically the storyline goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In the case of tension, it went a year. Um, where basically you, we would show up at your door in the middle of the night. You would have to get in cars with us. We'd take you to warehouses. With and there's, we, he means me, but yeah, you would mainly, be there with a mask. Uh, and we would have... Um, Wait, and you're not filming this? No. And we, I mean, it's some, Sometimes. it was, it was intense. I mean, we had, um, so it's not like, cause Matt's wife was in an yeah. immersive theater show. But that was, it was more like uh, one night. Le- yeah. Yeah. More of like a closer to a more traditional play. No, okay, this, was, this more, was more contained, but like we would, for example, we would do stuff like uh, call spoofing, which means like once we got to know who you were and we, you filled out the waivers that we, we ask a lot of very personal questions. So let's say I would know your wife's, what her name was. I would find out her phone number and we would call you and on your phone it would show your wife but it would actually be us. We would spoof emails. Um, you never knew where we began in your real life. It was it was a blur. And there was a safe word that you could stop at any time. Extremely detailed, but it was a narrative. It was a, it was a storyline and you were following Sabrina's character into a cult. And this, the end of the storyline was her parents are uh, basically coming to you for help to get their daughter out of a cult. And so there was, I don't know, seven or 800 people at the beginning in Los Angeles, trying to get her out of a cult. Like they're they're the audience. They're the yeah. audience, but they they work on their own time. So it literally could be two o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, 
you're uncovering this world that we've laid out through the web, through dead drops. Like, for example, you'd go to a bench and underneath the bench would be a USB drive. And if you were the first one there, you got that piece of the story. Mm-hmm. And by but, the way, none of this was ever planned out. This is all like on the go. Like literally Darren and I would come up with things maybe like five minutes before we would do them. Like yeah. you would call me. Well, this all ties into Agatha. Everything Wait, is we, this, do you know about the AI thing? Or like, like ARGs basically. This is an ARG. That's yeah. an ARG. Okay. Th- this is what this is. Yeah. But we actually ended with a, so we started as a nine month ARG, but here's where it all ties into St. Agatha. So, um, the line producer of this was a guy named Sir John. The writer of the ARG, as well as the show, was a guy named Clint Sears. She was the lead of it. Um, and when St. Agatha came up to us, it was the line producer that uh, he literally snuck a script into my bag. I hate reading scripts. I've lost out in so many movies because I never read the script. Um, but, I mean, you're not reading scripts because you're at a certain place where... No, it's not that. I'm just lazy. I've always been... That's why I'm overweight and lost all my hair. I'm just really kind of lazy. <laughs> but you're not like... <laughs> Desperate to make a movie, obviously. Since I, I you made a movie every year. Yeah, I just kind of do what I want. I've been very lucky that, that up to this point, I've been able to do what I want to do. So uh, he sneaks a script in my bag called um, St. Agatha. And I just got angry when I saw it because I was like, I don't want to read this. Uh, but I, I opened it and I, shocking is the only word I can say. Like the original um, script, it, the, the movie St. Agatha that's out tomorrow is a, very much a drama with horrific elements. <laughs> the original script was repulsive in a way of such shocking nature. And that's not, this, the movie was bad. The, the script was written by three of the producers. Uh, you're going to say their names because I always butcher names. Sean Fletcher, Sarah Michaels, and Andy, how do you say his last name? Andy Demetrio. Andy Demetrio. And they had a very particular vision for the movie and it was much more in the lines of Saw. So that's why they wanted me to do it. And I read it and I was like, this is too much. Like I have kids now, I can't do this. And so I told them that I would do the movie if I can bring in my writer, Clint Sears of the Tension Experience, to do a polish on it. Um, at that time, Sabrina and I literally, this is going to sound bad, we were almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week living together because of the tension experience. She was in every single scene and she had to be on call 24 hours a day. So I I said, the whole storyline of St. Agatha is about a, a young woman that goes into a convent. And I said, I want this to be Sabrina. I was like, if Sabrina does the movie, I'll do it. And you know, talk about an uphill battle. You're you're trying to get an independent investor to allow me to bring in someone that's not only never been in a movie, but she just moved to America. And right. I said, no, this is this is who it is. This is who I want. And I had her put herself on tape. And uh, the minute you the minute she put herself on tape, all the worry went away because they saw that she was the best person for it. But that's how everything came together. I wanted I saw Sabrina as the role. Uh, Clint and I both wanted her for it, and then we just carried over a a large amount of the tension people into it. And uh, we were, right. it was the quickest turnaround. We got the script in December and we were shooting in January. So you basically like auditioned for a year. Basically. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wait, let me rewind for a second. Cause I guess yeah. there's a lot of, there's lot a lot of things, things to unpack. There. Yeah. 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 First of all, you said you're cool with saying anything. So do you get paid for like this ARG? You no. just spent a year on it. No. What's well, the motivation? Lost to do so that? much money. It makes me sad. Yeah. Uh, I just want to listen. Here's the thing. Darren 12 or 15 years ago is not Darren now. I just talked about myself in third person, but I'm just going to keep with that. <laughs> sure. Uh, you're really awful. It's okay. Uh, I got bored. I did three Saw movies. I felt like I read the best roller coaster first at the amusement park. Uh, I'm 25 years old, and there's billboards of my movie outside of my apartment, my little studio. I see. I open my door, and there are I, there's my movie. Um, it was amazing. 
And uh, I was able to make some money when I did Saw 3. There was a big, I think, a misconception about what someone makes. I made nothing on Saw 2. Literally nothing. It was like... Uh, I wasn't Even though D- you got... It was WGA and DGA. I, was the, I wasn't DGA. Or, it was shot in Canada. So there's no WGA or G... It was not any yeah. of those. It was my first movie. It was non-union. So I made... Even though it's are, a giant you studio film, right? It wasn't a giant... Oh, yeah. That was yeah. the thing is Saw had not come out in the public yet. Saw 2 oh. was a very small movie. Very was small. it Lionsgate? It was Lionsgate, but it was not... Again, first film, first time film director. Right, right. I don't remember you, what I made, but I want to say it was like between thirty and forty thousand. The very first movie I did, and you don't get any back end. Nothing. Or I get zero. So From I have no saw two. Like what nothing. they made. No. So that's what I'm saying is I think that there's a misconception that when people like I don't know how many times in my life I've heard, oh, you got that saw money. No, I have that Mother's Day money, which is a better like, thing it, to say than the. the it saw literally. Money. Can buy me a saw. Yeah, so so uh, like a nice circular saw. Though, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's an inside podcast, and people want to hear the inside information of what it's really like. When I signed the deal, I had a two picture deal, and so you negotiate them both up front. So it's not like Saw Two opens up and I make a ton of money. It's just like mm-hmm. a TV thing. It's Saw. You you have a put thing, so that became Saw Three. But uh, they so gave then me, Saw Four. So right. I wanted where to, you become a billionaire. No, no, no. <laughs> I wanted to make Repo, and this is where this is where my life. I guess I. There was a crossroads. By the time Saw 4 was being shot, I had done two movies back-to-back, and then I was on my third movie back-to-back with no break in between. I wanted to do something just weird and crazy, so I wanted to make a rock opera with Paris Hilton. I mean, that's I don't know how much dangerous you can get than that. <laughs> um, there was a lot of leveraging going on about me wanting to make this movie. They wanted me for Saw 4. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until Mother's Day that I actually made money. Uh, and not a lot, but... It was the first real paycheck. Let me let me ask you this then, maybe because I think this yeah. will help frame things for our listeners. When did you move out of your studio? Saw three when I came home from Saw three. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe. Yeah, there you go. The other thing is, is I never realized how big the Saw films were because I was never here. I was in Toronto. Mm-hmm. They were shot back to back to back. So I uh, I would finish the movie. I would edit the movie in Toronto. I'd come back for a week of press, and I was back doing the next one. But you're saying they're selling like jigsaw masks at the, the no. I, I knew. I knew. It just seemed normal to me because I had no other barometer for it. Oh, like right. it would, You're like, I'm surrounded by this, so I can't tell if it's a big yeah, deal or I, not. Yeah, I couldn't. It wasn't until Repo hit and it was a failure that I realized what I had with Saw. I don't know how this all tied into St. Agnes. Right. There Re- was, a is, was Repo with Paris Hilton? She, yeah, Repo had Sarah Brightman in it. it Paris was in it, but it was a, a just a weird mishmash of weird people. Like Yeah, Ogre. that movie is bonkers. It is. It's like <laughs> Paul Servino and Ogre from Skinny Puppy yeah, and yeah. Anthony Stewart Head from Buffy and Sarah Brightman, who's a world-renowned opera singer. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the sort of... I've seen it like at parties. Oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's like, let's all get together and watch this movie. Yeah, sort of it's, a, it's a cult fandom. It's very much yeah. like Rocky Horror Picture Show, kind of cult fandom. Well, I, when I assume kind of like from the get-go, that was kind of what you had in mind, right? I love Rocky Horror, yeah. so I wanted to do... I'm a huge musical theater geek and uh, I wanted to do, and that's coming back to being an artist about these making money. Repo was so creatively fulfilling for me because it was batshit crazy and no one else was going to make that movie. And it was just awesome that I could, I remember that uh, I went to a party after maybe six or seven months after Repo came out and I was standing there and there was these insane filmmakers. There was Quentin Tarantino and there was James Gunn and there was all these people and James Gunn walks up to me and he goes, I forgot how he said it. He said something like, you, my man, have big balls. And it was just like going to do a movie like Repo after you're doing the Saw films. And that to me was the biggest compliment in the world because like, I want to do cool shit, shit that other people are scared to do. And so that's kind of dictated my career from doing Repo. 
I've done insane things. I went to Japan for for months and months and months and shot a TV show in Japanese of all Japanese people. Do you speak Japanese? No, not a single word. I had three <laughs> translators. Um, I uh, I went and did an immersive theater experience. I've shot more musicals of just insanity. So to me, that's what that's what's cool. I have no desire just to make the same movie over and over. Right, and I my horror film knowledge is like kind of low level so was Eli Roth involved with the Saw movies hostile he was so we were all it was funny and, and not funny this is, what, this is what makes me cry when you're saying you're gonna hear me cry in this interview <laughs> please um, cry I remember one of my earliest memories of like success or seeing a glimpse of it was I showed up to a premiere that Lionsgate was having and I was standing in the red carpet line and it was oh, this makes me so mad it was Tyler Perry it was Eli Roth it was James Gunn and it was Rob Zombie and I and we were all kind of just starting out. Like Rob was doing mm-hmm. House of a Thousand Corpses into Devil's Re- he was doing Devil's Rejects. And Tyler Perry, I forgot what movie he just came out. Eli was on Hostel 2. And James Gunn just said Slither. And we're all like, yeah, we're going to be awesome. We're going to do it. And like these guys have all done like $100 million movies. And I'm still doing $1 million movies and $2 million movies. But Can I've it got be to be that they read scripts that people give them. I, they probably read <laughs> scripts. Uh, that might be the difference. That, that might be the difference. Uh, but I've been able to do. Every passion project that I've had, I've been able to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me is cool. Is that there's not that movie that like I'm waiting. I don't have that uh, that movie that I'm waiting 20 years to have. But I've done everything that I've said I want to make, I've been able to make. So did you shoot St. Agatha exactly a year ago in January? Two years ago, Two right? years ago. Oh, two years oh, wow. ago. Okay. Yeah. So I was trying to do the math. So two. right before that, you did the ARG. We've done a, We've done a, an immersive theater every single year. So Tension Experience started in 2000. It was all through 2016 and it ended in November of 2016 mm-hmm. where we did the big immersive theater event. The uh, ARG was nine months leading up to the in-person event. And the in-person event, anyone could go. Anyone could buy a ticket to it. You didn't have to do the ARG. And that stayed open like 14 weeks. Uh, and this 50,000 square foot warehouse downtown. Mm-hmm. That closed down. And then the next year we did something called the Lust Experience. And that was... Very hardcore, like eyes wide shut. You walked into a sex party, and that had an and it was a real sex party. Well, no, well not, not let's just say a lot of penises. Yeah. Saw a lot of penises uh, that I did not pe- want to see. There this was, was <laughs> in, this was related to the cult. Yeah, one. Yeah, it, it well, was they related. All, they, yeah. they all tied in. Um, but the lust experience was with the second chapter. It was like you know what it was it was American Horror Story. It was the second cycle of us doing these mm. things. Things tied in, but not everything. And then we just finished this year. We did something called Theater Macabre, which was a third year of doing it. So we've done one every year. How is your wife with your kid cool with you? Just like oh, they're not spending nine months with act, 20, like twenty four hours a day, yeah, twenty right? to two yeah. a.m. running yeah. and trying to like scare people. Well, Sabrina can answer some of that because she's friends with her. But yeah, I'm well, not. We're actually really good. No. <laughs> No, but she 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 does really support you and also follow you to places. You know, like well, is she an artist also? Um, she she was a producer. She produced um, the Devil's Carnival films with me. She produced Eleven Eleven. And she's a writer. She's a writer. Um, I mean, she's a saint for being able to put. I'm insane. Like I'm literally certifiably. I think Sabrina can tell you after working with me for a yes, while. Yes, Laura and I sometimes have to like get together and just decompress from Darren. <laughs> Usually, a bottle of alcohol is involved. Yeah. Um, Many. But right. you know, but not she, drinking, just like hitting each other hitting, on yeah. the head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They uh, this year, um, I turned forty like last month. And they did an immersive day for me where they kidnapped me, forced me to get a tattoo, yeah. um, 
I was blindfolded, put in the back of it. They did what I do to other people, and they planned it. I think it was my wife's version of just getting back to me. So she she does come with me for for some of the time. Like I did a film in Barcelona, and she was there with me. And she loves Barcelona. She speaks fluent Spanish, so she loved going there. And then she went with me to Japan, and so did my son. And so it was awesome because I had, I had Henry there, and he's like one and a half at that point. He's getting to go to temples and see all this crazy stuff. Right. There's a, a circus family, I call it, right? You yeah. Know, you kind of get to travel around a little bit. and But now it's it's getting harder, though, because I have a second kid, and I just shot. This is, I got hired. Um, Neil Patrick Harris's uh, husband hired us to do um, an immersive birthday party for Neil. Mm-hmm. So li- Yeah, he has his own kind of immersive well, game company as well, yeah, right? He, yeah, he's really into this stuff. Yeah. And so he was a big fan of Tension and has been one of our biggest supporters. So we got hired to basically do a 24-hour event for Neil, just like the game, where he never knew what was happening. So I agreed to do it. They moved his birthday party up two weeks, and my wife was due to give birth the day that his party was happening. And so Laura is literally giving birth to our daughter. This is not she's giving birth, and she's pushing, and I'm orchestrating Neil's party and she's like get off the fucking computer and I'm like go now 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 send the police send the police so, oh, so you should have kidnapped him and brought him into the labor room I mean that would well, be incredible then because he is a doctor right uh, yeah he, yeah or at least played one on TV I get a movie called The Death of Me which is in uh shoots in Bangkok and so literally I have a daughter who's three months old three weeks old three weeks old and I leave to go to Bangkok for six weeks and he, right. your wife named her. the movie I know well she, I know, death of me is really what it is. Uh, but she can't travel with a newborn going to right. Bangkok, which is 30 hours away. So in that case, she's not happy. Uh, so, yeah, she's a, she is a saint to deal with me. Mm-hmm. I think that and alcohol help her. Yeah, I feel like I could never, I, could, I couldn't swing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, unless she was the lead of the movie or something, you know. No, she couldn't. We get in fights on set and it gets really awkward for everyone around. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about St. Yeah. Agatha for okay. a second. So you said it's a drama with horror elements as opposed to like a straight-up horror film? Depends yeah. what review you read. There are some reviews that have been like, this is just exploitative, vicious violence and whatever. And there's other reviews that are and like... And the non-sploitation a- word that they use. Which oh, it not... non yeah, Which is great. very apropos this week, right? The Pope just oh, talking yeah, about Yeah, saying about the, the yeah. women that have been tortured and enslaved to sexual oh, so deviancy. So that was just like a, stu- a marketing stunt you guys set up. Yeah, we set For that sure, up. We yeah. had the Pope in on it. He was he was very, very cool to play along. <laughs> he Big loves ARG, campaign. so... He does. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, Sabrina, what would you call it? A psychological thriller, because I I would also agree that maybe 70% of the film is more of a drama than it is mm-hmm. horror. But then definitely the horror scenes that are in there are, you know, they're worthy of Darren Bowsman. Mm-hmm. There's viciousness. Horror. I mean, there is yeah. there is hardcore viciousness. It's, uh, it's an uncomfortable thing. I think that's what some unsettling. Isn't that that girl that gave this really funny YouTube this, review? There's a girl on YouTube. Uh, I get Google alerts. Like, you know, I just say I get Google and I got one today and it was like, this girl doing a YouTube review. She's got like a big following on YouTube. Big following. And I clicked it and it was the, I wanted to review every one of my movies. She was so animated and so excited. And she was like, I can't even do it. Like, she was like, it's so scary and so violent and so vicious. And I was like watching through my hands. And she was like, it says like the most unsettling movie. She said, and I'd like that word. I think it's unsettling mm-hmm. more than anything else. It's not supernatural. And I think that no. what separates us from other of these type of films is it's, it's all, it's based on real things. It's not... It's not based on a true story. We completely exaggerated everything, but it's based on real cases that in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, you know, having children out of wedlock was completely a taboo. It was a social mm-hmm. taboo. 
And it, it, our story follows uh, a woman in, in the deep south who ends up pregnant. Uh, and she's a grifter. She's a con woman herself doing these low-level cons just to get by. So it's $20 here, $20 there. She makes the determination with her boyfriend to go to a convent and just deliver the child, and it'll be free. No one will know she's pregnant. It'll be free, and they'll start a new life. And when she goes to the convent, she realizes that the women inside it are also grifters. And they it's basically con against con. But it gets really, really uncomfortable in some of the stuff they do. It's like for me, thick sure. man meets the exorcist. Yeah, yeah. that's that's good. It's good. Um, I never thought I'd hear those two movies put in the same. Uh... <laughs> and so you're, are you the lead, this lead character that yes. is the is pregnant? Um, yeah, the pregnant con artist that then just gets put through the ringer the whole movie, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, it's a it, the movie is it's got a great ensemble cast of of female actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 anchored by basically two by Sabrina and this other incredible actress named Carolyn Hennessy. Carolyn is a daytime soap star, won multiple daytime Emmys, and one of the most incredible actors I've worked with. And she is so horrific, and she's vicious. terrifying. Yeah, she, she's, she's scared, like the mother, of mother the, superior. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she is she is um, Nurse Cratchit from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Looks like a, a Disney princess compared to. Carolyn Hennessy in this. Um, and so it's the two of them going basically head to head. She goes in thinking it's going to be an easy, you know, six months, seven months. Did you, you know, you find out you're pregnant right away and then you go. So it's a whole nine yeah. months you have to be there. Yeah. But it, she thinks it's going to be this easy time and she's going to coast for free and then she's going to have her baby and they can get rid of all these medical bills. But the convent has much different plans uh, and antics ensue. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the antics, actually, right? Because um, in in terms of just like the way that conflict expresses itself, like what sort of horror are we talking about? What sort of psychological games are we talking about? What what can viewers kind of expect for themselves? Uh, it gets into body horror a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, people having to do things that affect their own appearance. It starts off, I don't know if I'd call the movie subtle because there's some really horrific things that are not subtle, but the... It starts off the things that are done are very subtle to them. It's telling them when they can talk, when they can eat, when they can go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as the film progresses, it gets a lot more intense than just when you can go to the bathroom. Uh, and I think a lot of it de- deals with humiliation, humiliating them, uh, demoralizing them, dehumanizing them. And it's just control. Yeah. Because the physical things that they're doing is all about controlling them. Mm-hmm. Wait, them so easily control them. I'm really curious, Sabrina, when you read a script like this, and you're kind of offered the role or put up for the role. Are you like, is it, is it weird? Like, are you like, wait, I can't do this. This is too insane. Like what, what's the thought process of like I, deciding? I mean, I was so excited when I read the script. I really, really, really loved it. And he, he didn't send it to me until he was really happy with it. Like for the longest time, he didn't send it oh, to so me. So you guys did a big rewrite on it. And stuff. Oh, big rewrites. Yeah. So he did not send it to me for a long time. Um, but yeah, no, I really loved reading it. But that being said, after I got confirmed from him that I'm going to be the one playing the part, I was terrified. I had those, I had like really crazy headaches that I couldn't explain. And then I just realized it was all from, from being like stressed, you know, out, stressed about. out about doing the role. And because I was, I, I, I was, I don't think I was prepared to be, you know, number one on the call sheet on my first film and then going in and knowing people are going to have expectations from you. And I don't think I ever was 
too worried about the more like torturous physical scenes Mm -hmm. because I had just done tension experience and a lot of the things towards the end of it, I had to do a lot of things that were really, really emotionally draining and grew and kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that screaming stuff. So I was like prepared for that. But I think it was more so, you know, the, the subtleties of it and just like the being on set and not being used to being on set, the, mm-hmm. the rules on set, all, all of that actually well, sure. freaked me I mean, out more than the role itself. I mean, I think most people that come into this have had 10 years of, of, of working their way up or doing supporting roles, getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Being so, able to watch a star. Exactly. Sabrina literally thing. comes in and she has a million and a half lines in the script. She's in every single scene. Uh, she has to be there, the first one in, the last one out. And every single scene involves her. And are you the type of director that wants the dialogue exactly as written, uh, word for word? Well, he does not give a uh, shit. Uh, I don't read scripts. <laughs> so I was like, eh, but you we, wrote, you re- did a rewrite on this. Script. Clint, my friend Clint did. Uh, my my partner who uh, does all the movies, the last five or six things he's written for me. But, but that I being said, I, we all really stuck to. Yeah, we we try. Listen, we. I don't want them to walk in and just do a Christopher Guest style thing where they can just say whatever they want to say. Uh, we knew what this. We knew what had to happen in the scene. We knew where the scene had to go. If thing, but I'm a. It's in my mindset. If it doesn't sound natural coming off the tongue of that person, I'm not Tarantino. Like I'm not. My words are not as precious because he writes in poetry. His his words are the scene. Like that right. is what it it's is. Like iambic pentameter. Exactly. Uh, we're not like that. So if if I hear Sabrina say something that doesn't sound right and i'll give you an example and i hope you're okay talking about this there were certain times that i heard your accent oh yeah and we had to change it because i could hear the swiss german accent right in a certain word or certain yeah so we'd have to change it and it was weird because we could never pinpoint what it was because it's usually actually the melody of how i say something and so we're both like we don't know what's wrong but something's wrong i heard it in the movie the one made it still in as when you said about i'm worried about my our family oh are we doing the right thing for our family but it was so it was so accenting to me but it's a period piece too so i feel like you have like a a little leeway with the accent right we did that that in post i know but it sounds a little little bit just a little bit Uh, everyone's gonna listen for that all the people who are now watching are you a a multiple multi-camera like how many cameras do you like to shoot your stuff with i'm trying to remember do we have two we had two on some days but most days it was one i like one i'll tell you why joe white who is a cinematographer i can't say enough great things about joe white is literally brilliant um he was the guy i told you i called when lionsgate said yes to me and i had to shoot that short film uh i think he shot 12 of my projects i've only worked with two other dps uh, him and I both like one camera because I would rather pay attention to one camera and get one right. Yeah. Get one right than try to sacrifice two. Because one of the problem with two is, at least for me, the lighting is not going to be as crisp. Like you're going to have to sacrifice the lighting to make sure that you're not seeing shadows on two. On top of that, it limits. You have you know you have another camera op. You have another AC. You have another. So the the, the space becomes more crowded. That means less fluidity of movement. I will use two when it's a big gag, but we had one take. So it was just one take, move on, one take, move on. And yeah. do you so shoot we, a lot of coverage? I do, because uh, I, I started off as an editor. So I think as an editor, and I know what I want, but I do like to have a million options, because even this movie we're doing now, The Death of Me, uh, there's always there's three there's, there's three movies, when you maybe even more than that when you start off. There's the movie you write, there's the movie you shoot, and there's the movie you edit that ends up being. And a lot of times, they're not they're not in, related to yeah, each other. at all. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, you sometimes you find a movie like we found Saint Agatha in the edit room. The way that it's edited is not at all what we shot at all. At all. Um, 
Can so, you, so you can tell that, Sabrina, when you watch, you're like, well, is... no, yeah, I mean, whole, we had a big change because the script change. was like, it was linear. everything leading linear, leading up to the comment, then comment in like minute 22 or whatever. Mm. And so now it's with flashbacks. Yeah, flashbacks. Yeah. So, yeah. so when that edit started, it yeah, was so, weird to see it. So originally we did the first act was her backstory. What led her to the convent? The second act was the convent. And right, the third the act new was world, escape. Kind of. yeah. So we were looking at it. And the producers, rightfully so, said, this is boring. Nothing happens until page, you know, minute 25. I think 25 was the first scare. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you can't do this. So we started minute one, she enters a convent. And then we had all these flashbacks. And we had to try to piece the flashbacks together. So now throughout the movie, you have these flashbacks that are kind of telling you what happened. That wasn't the way that it was mm-hmm. originally thought to be. Um, so I like to have a lot of, like, oh, oh this is a story. Uh, this is a fun story that I, I forget. I forgot about until I watched the movie last night. In the last couple of films, I've gotten into doing this, and I, I recommend this to any filmmaker who is listening to the podcast. There's always that inevitable point when you get in the edit that you're adding ADR and tons of ADR, and you just, I, I hate ADR. I hate it. I hate putting lines on people's back. It looks fake. So I've started doing scenes, stylistic scenes in every movie that the whole scene is constructed on the lead actor's backs, but I make them look good. And so mm-hmm. we uh, we shot a scene with Mother Superior and the three nuns when they're when they're when they're smoking, I and I had all of it. So Carolyn was what Mother Superior is walking back and forth, and she's very like she's she's very sternly talking. And I knew that I had these scenes with different characters that was shot specifically for ADR. Um, and oh, so wow. we were watching the movie, and we had massive plot holes, and we said, "Let's pull out that scene." The scene was nothing; it was not meant for anything, but we knew we had it. Like you shot well, it as a co- it, as coverage, as basically. coverage for ADR, or to fill in plot points, as opposed to putting an entire monologue on someone's back. We sure. shot a scene to put a scene on their backs. And when you're shooting that scene, what is the actor saying? Carolyn and thinking is my and favorite. Like, like I want to work with Carolyn <laughs> for a million years because she is the most hilarious improver in the world. She's like, I got it, I got it, I got it, boss, I got it. And she just talks in the most insane, like, rambling, like, of a mad woman. I don't even know what she was saying. But each one she would change. So it was, like, between every cut, let's say we did that scene four times. She had four monologues. They were just just batshit crazy. Uh, But she knows that... I told her what it was for. I said, this is... Purely for coverage, gotcha. I said, "This this is just for... If shit's too convoluted and I got to fix it, we're doing this. And I, I would love to, we didn't have the time in this one, but get one for each character. Mm-hmm. So that was just one character. But there's there's A, B, and C storylines going on. And that uh, character is kind of controlling a lot of the plot Yeah, lines, so right? I knew that it was most likely going to be on, on her side. Uh, and a nun, what's the thing? A habit? Habit, habit. habit yeah. yeah. Like it's so iconic from any angle. That's what, like what... Um, Handmaid's Tale is so good because yeah. you can see so, them from any angle and you're kind of, there's yeah, something you get a sense stark of it. Yeah. and tone just yeah. from w- the wardrobe. You know? So true. So uh, take that take that note, guys. Go shoot a scene that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> and just use it later. Keep it in your back pocket. Yeah, That's exactly. a good one. We, yeah. we haven't heard that one on the show That's yet. That's genius. Yeah. I actually wanted to ask, I mean, speaking of like kind of technical tips and tricks, um, and I mean, from an acting point of view, I'm interested too if you have any insight, but like what... And this is a very generic question that might not have a good answer, but like, how do you make a scene scary? What are like some of the, yeah. How do you build tension? What are, the, what's the, yeah. The eyes and the breathing I think are, are important for the actors. Cause I also noticed that when we had to redo like the breathing in ADR, it was like, it didn't sound as good anymore. I feel like. And do yeah. you like, do you find it scary? Like, is it scary on set or is it not really, or is it more funny on set? Or? I thought it would be. I honestly, because I'm a big horror movie fan and mm-hmm. I love getting scared and I do get scared. 
But I, it was not scary at not all. Not to keep talking about the ARG, but like I bet that was more immersive and scary, right? That like, was scary. There's, yeah. yeah, there's not like cameras in your face. No, quite the and same that, way that is why I had to meet up with 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 grown men in parks yeah. that I we didn't <laughs> in really the middle know of the who night. they are. Yeah, sure. But I, it's, I, 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 he was always there, like sure, in a car sure, sure. hiding. You're not in danger, but it's easy to be well, immersed. Well, I don't in it, maybe right? maybe a little. Darren well. keeps on being eyes wide shut. Yeah, but that was definitely that was that was scary. I go back is is to me. And this is why I'm in love with immersive. And I'll go back and answer your question about tints and how to make things scary. But that's why, to me, immersive theater is so important to me and why I think it's an important art form is that um, it's hard. You go see a movie and there is there you are staring at a screen. You are sitting there and you are watching a movie. There's no – in a best-case scenario, maybe for 90 minutes you forget. Maybe if it's a really good movie, you forget you're watching a movie. With immersive theater, you blend into the world. You are sitting in a bar. You are drinking scotch. You are smelling the perfume of the actress. She's breathing on you. It's not quite immersive theater, but even if you go to like back when I was young and we would go to like Not Scary Farm and people were allowed yep. to like grab you and jump out and you and scare you. And I mean, people were literally getting hurt because people were punching them because they were so scared. I like, know. Like that stuff, even though you know it's about to happen, is like so scary well, when I think- there's physicality in it. For me, great art is breaking down those barriers so you forget. You forget that you're watching a movie. You forget that you're in a play uh, because it involves more of you. And with tension and with all these immersive things, we try to remove all of the devices that separate you from a real connection. And that was our mantra is that we want you to be present. And and we're not present. We're not. We hide behind uh, laptops and cell phones and iWatches and, and these, you know, all this electricity that we have. We stop having human interaction. If you allow yourself to have a real human interaction, your emotions are heightened. You become fearful much easier. You fall in love much easier um, because it's real. It's organic. And I think that I haven't figured out as a film how to do that yet. But with immersive theater, I can connect with people in a way that I could never do in a movie. I could scare them in a way I'd never have done in a movie. Uh, And it becomes a drug because that's why I got into being a filmmaker in the first place. I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to affect people. So with tension, and this is going to sound fake, and I hear it, and I'm like, this sounds like bullshit. I would say when we were running the actual show show, not the ARG, the show, a quarter to half the people came out in tears every night. And it was, yeah. it sounds fake saying it. And we're talking grown men, not scare. They weren't, this isn't scary what we're doing. It affected them mm-hmm. because they, for two and a half hours, actually tension was over three hours. You were forced to put your phone down. You were forced to have human interactions and talk about things you didn't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. People, uh, people open up to me about like their deepest, darkest and secrets, and would just cry. And I, we, and then us, the actors, would cry in turn because sure. So, how do you make real. a scene scary, Sabrina? Uh, <laughs> getting back to that, I think for me, my my biggest go to is. Um, you got to trust the actor to do what the actor is going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you're dealing with someone like Carolyn, she knows what she's going to do. And it's not my place to tell her at that point. If her vision is so different than my own, then I'll go in and I'll say, hey, listen, let's, let's try it this way. But for me, it is it is the production design. It is the camera movement. And it is the sound. To me, sound is everything. Uh, me, 15 years ago, overused sound design and music. Uh and there's a lot of sound design and music in this. I mean, it's bombastic. But this is also the movie that has the most silence I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, just long push-ins of nothing. Uh, I go back and I watch movies that affected me growing up. Rosemary's Baby is is one of those. The long, drawn-out shots of just nothing happening with her folding clothes. You're trying to mm-hmm. see what she's doing in that room. 
that to me is scary. Yeah, that long scene that you changed. Um, there's a scene in St. Agatha that's pretty long where he took out all the sound in the background. It's, it's pretty long and it's really, you can only hear me breathing. I'm not even saying anything. Mm-hmm. And that that builds the tension pretty well. Yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's the use of music and it's the pulling away of music uh, and sound design, which I think really can set up a, a really scary sequence. Do you, how much do you tell the actors what your intention for the audience to feel is? Like, do you say, like, we want this to be super scary, you know? Or are you just kind of talking about so what their character is? No. All that Darren says, literally, before don't every scene, says, <laughs> don't embarrass Sabrina, me. don't fuck this up for me. Sabrina, <laughs> don't stand in the way of me and my, don't stand in the way of my the only, dreams. No, no, the only something. thing standing between me and my dreams is you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, we only have one take on this one and yeah. action. Exactly. That's <laughs> no, literally I, what he does. Every movie is different. Um, St. Agatha, I didn't have to do a lot because we had such talented actors. I have a very clear vision of what I want the movie to be. I edit it in my head. As an editor, I only think of the edit. What's what's the edit going to look like? And I'll give you an example, and this is something that maybe Sabrina's not going to want to hear. Sabrina might have a great idea, and I'm going to use you as an example. You might have a great idea for your scene that vastors so differently from what's on the page or what I want to do. I think of the edit, and I'm like, is what she want to do going to affect how I want to edit the scene? So I will let her have a song and dance soliloquy if I know that all I care about is the look to the left at the end of the thing. Because that's so, what I ask for. So, no, so my point is, is that as an editor, I'm thinking about um, will I be able to cut the scene in the way that I see it in my head? Mm-hmm. And then I will give a note if it's so different. If like, And and so, yeah, there's, there's times like that I'll interject, but... For the most part, the actors were so on point, I didn't have to tell them anything. They knew what they were doing. Um, so in, in that thing, it's more about constructing a mood and an atmosphere. And when you're doing a movie like this, it's just you're, you're running so quick. You're trying to make mm-hmm. your days. And I'm not sure if we ever made a day on St. Agatha. I don't know if we ever actually ended early and high five. I think it was no. always like we were like a day behind. Ever. There was always a lot of tension <laughs> towards the end of the day. Well, we feel- always went over. Yeah. I guess another thing I'm curious about is like, I feel like in the days, pre-Saw days, there would always be this kind of like common knowledge that like things happening off screen are scarier than things, you know, like the Jaws kind of type of thing. But I feel like once Saw and Hostel and all those movies came around, it was kind of the opposite a little bit. I've started to step back on that myself. Um, There's, I don't want to spoil it, but there's maybe five or six really gross set pieces in St. Agatha. And half of them you don't see, but they got the biggest reactions in the audience because with sound design, mm-hmm. with the reactions. The performances. Um, and an edit, right? Like cutting yeah. away at the right point. Right? One of my favorite movies that I've the done. The poop sound effects. The, the, yeah. Sorry, I'm just pushing. You're this. all about the poop. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're going to be so disappointed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> One of the one of my IMDb zero stars, no poop. No poop. No, I, know. I was waiting for it. Uh, we uh, one of my favorite films I did before this was something called Mother's Day with Rebecca De Mornay, and uh, it was a vicious script. I mean, it was it was it was wrong, and I had a take on it. And the, the take that I wanted to do was I wanted to take this movie and shoot it like a kids' film. I wanted to shoot it as a G-rated film where nothing was shown on screen whatsoever. And every time that there would be a swear word or there'd be blood or there'd be violence, it would cut away. And to me, we tried it and it made it infinitely more disturbing and it made it more hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up doing half and half with that movie. And you, you'll see if you watch the movie, there are some scenes that we show in graphic detail. And then there are other scenes. And one of my favorite scenes of the movie is a, a character tries to escape and, and mother, uh, Rebecca Namorne, puts his wife in front of the husband that tried to escape 
and and she she ties the husband up and she takes a, a boiling thing of tea and she pours herself tea and there's all this tea still or this boiling water still in the tea kettle and she goes you don't listen and she tilts the guy's head and she puts a funnel in his ear and you see the, the, the thing boiling and then it pushes past him and for the rest of the scene pushes in on the wife and all you can do is hear him screaming and hear the, the water going down his ear and then it's when the screams stop it just becomes so in the hood it ends in this really tight shot to me it's one of the most horrific scenes in the entire movie and you see nothing so I still want to do that hardcore movie but shoot it like a G-rated film <laughs> that's well, my stomach everyone if you're wondering yeah, what that is. <laughs> yeah I love I love that idea I mean, I get, yeah. Then there's like uh, so the Saw movies, you see a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I keep thinking about, and I actually want to talk about the gags and kind of maybe some yeah. of the more explicit things that you do see because to me, the fun of a horror movie is in getting to do some of that stuff. You know, sure. like there's uh, the, the VFX, like arts and crafts kind of like, you know, how, like how many practical effects are you doing? Or is the, well, you talk about the body horror stuff, you know, all of that. I've never been on a movie outside of Saw that we had time to actually do the gags. You have these great ideas, and I'm going to jump and tell you a different story on a different movie, which more kind of hits the point. I did a movie called The Barons. There's a monster in it. And I had this grand idea of what the monster looked like and how he moved. And I wanted to hire a contortionist, and the contortionist had to move in a certain way and hold this mask. And uh, we had, again, like very little time to shoot the movie. And the monster showed up on set the first day. That was it. We didn't see it. We saw sketches before. We saw pictures. Mm-hmm. We saw it in mold. But it showed up on the first day. Like like you've never seen it completely I've never, I've seen operated. Or, yeah. And this is a costume or like a robot? It was, it was supposed to be a man in suit because I'm very anti-CGI when you don't need it. Uh, I, I so much go back to those days that they were puppeteering and there were, there were creatures were creatures. So, uh, it shows up and it looks great. It looks awesome. And the contortionist is there and he tries to put the suit on and he falls over Mm. and the suit was so heavy. It was so absolutely heavy that you couldn't do anything. And so the whole movie is this Jersey devil. It's running and chasing and leaping in trees and flying and literally we didn't have time to fix it, so we put it in a wheelbarrow, and every time you see it, it's only like from here, and it's guys in a wheelbarrow pushing it because it never works the way you think it's going to or you want it to. And we didn't have time to redesign it or pull things out. We had this many days to shoot the movie, and that was it. And so the entire idea changed. Uh, I find gore is that's a big thing in films. The same thing happens, at least on the movies I've done, is that uh, you have these grandiose ideas, and you get on set, and you realize to, to do an actor change. So let's say, for example... Uh, there's a scene where in the movie where Sabrina, this isn't a big spoiler, she falls into a bear trap. It's in the trailers. She falls into a bear trap. Uh, I know that one the, the, th- the one that like yeah, grabs her yeah, leg. Yeah. So she, I know for, for the case of her, we have to shoot, we have one take to do, and then in between the reset, it takes them 15 minutes to reset the bear trap and the blood mm-hmm. rig. But at that point, she's wearing all white. So she gets blood all over her. So if I'm going to do another take, she has to go back. And we're in the middle of the forest. So she has to go back 15 minutes to base camp, sure. get cleaned up. It's a big reset. Yeah. yeah. And then and then you have – so I'm one artist making the movie. But there's 50 other artists. There's makeup artists. There's hair artists. And they take pride in what they do. That's their art. So I want to say, go, go, go. Get her back here. And they're like, no, her hair is not right. There's blood in her hair. We have to clean her hair. We have to re-put makeup on her. So one gag – to reset it could take 45 minutes to an hour. When you're doing a low-budget film, you don't have 45 minutes to an hour. So there was a scene in St. Agatha, there's a couple of scenes in St. Agatha that uh, 
part of it was about these girls giving birth. And we had fake babies and we had fake umbilical cords. It never worked, ever. So you just kind of give up and you're just like, we get what we get. We have to get the best version of it and move on. So were your fake babies like animatronic babies? No, we couldn't afford that. We just had like rubber. Do you like, watch those Alfonso Cuaron movies and just get pissed off? I, I like, see them and I just get enraged because I'm like, I've, I've where did been, that baby come from? It looks like a real baby. Uh, yeah, it's upsetting. But uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Dapper cadaver. What's upsetting is our babies. <laughs> is uh, that why you had a real baby? You're like, oh, I just need to make no, a No, but baby. I think it was funny about our baby. And I'm not even joking you. If I, and, and I might be wrong remembering this wrong. But we could only afford one baby, and it was an Asian child. But there were no Asian people in the. This is a real baby. No, it's no, it's a, it's a, it's a. You could only afford one. We could afford one. We could afford one prop over three girls that were giving birth, and it was always the same baby that looked nothing like anyone in the thing. So we had to hide it the entire time. But there's that's a super realistic Uh, baby. Well, was it? It was. It was all right. No, it was cool. And it's covered this with like the yeah, afterbirth yeah. and all yeah. that. Stuff. Oh yeah, it was totally covered in that stuff. It was great. <laughs> Strawberry and I was jelly, covered right? In it. Yeah. It was um, I always feel bad for the actors who have to kind of like shake the baby to make it look like it's moving and oh, alive. Yeah, rough. and have to kiss it. Yeah, that's. Wait, are you the one that it. did the Clint Eastwood thing? I the did. Yeah, American yeah. Sniper. Did you yeah, ever see yeah. that movie? Oh yes, that was so bad. When when is it, <laughs> yeah. is it Bradley Cooper? Bradley, Bradley Cooper yeah. who does the finger it's so weird it's so rough so i i did a sketch basically where we recreate that moment but uh every time you cut back to it it's a more fake looking baby so it's like you know it's a a super fake doll and then it's like just a bag of flour and then it's like a doll that's been painted green and then it's like the dancing baby from ally mcbeal that is so funny i so want to tell them about the gag that involves the baby that's like the showpiece thing of thing what are you talking about? The scene. The scene. The, the little The act. scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't. Can I just say spoiler alert and everyone pause for yeah, a minute? Yeah, okay. I would say so. Because every time I hear a spoiler, I'm like, oh, especially if it's awesome, makes me want to see the movie more. Okay. Yeah. So, okay I will say a lot of our listeners will be like, yeah, I heard, you know, I watched this movie because you talked about a certain set piece and if I wanted to see what it looked like. If they know a scene is hard to shoot, that's more exciting for them. So I'll give you, I'm going to ruin the movie. for. It's not really ruining it, but it's, it's ruining It's really it. not. So um, in the script, one of the big things that we had that Clint came up with that uh, I wanted a really unique way to kill one of the, the main characters. And the whole movie is about these, these nuns that are taking babies from pregnant women and selling them uh, away from the women. And I wanted something that was iconic and something that related to what was happening. And uh, he wrote a scene that was so repulsive and awesome where... St. Agatha or Mary gives birth and she uses her umbilical cord to strangle a nun and no one thought we were going to do it and the producers were like this is not ridiculous. Not even we thought we were going to do like, it. Like, and, the, and the producers didn't even care because they're like you got to fix that. We're not doing that. You have to fix it. And I remember it was a week <laughs> out and Seth walks over and he's like what are we going to do about that scene? Wait why, why did they want to fa- I mean it sounds awesome. Well because it, it's just it's it also it, it's kind of comedic and comical. Okay. And uh, <laughs> like, what are we going to do? I said we'll fix it. We're going to fix it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out couple days come by. And this uh, is your character? Her character. Yeah. Uh, a couple of days pass. And uh, so they go, Darren, we're, we're four days away from shooting. It's the last day. It's the last day we're filming. Everyone's leaving to go on planes. They're like, Darren, it's the end of the movie. What are we going to do about this? And the DP, Joe White, comes up to me. And he, Joe's hilarious. He's, I just can't, he's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. He's like looking at the script. And he's like, hey, I'm finally reading the script. And it's like two days before. <laughs> and he's like, are we really going to strangle someone with an umbilical cord? And I was like, we'll figure it out. So cut to, uh, it's like 4.30 in the evening. Uh, We're rushing and we have to like, we had a location move. And if you guys know about location moves, that takes an hour and a half of your day. You're sure. gone. 
So the sun is setting. Joe looks up at the sun and says, we have 45 minutes and the sun's gone. And now everyone's leaving. It's, it's like six. the end of the movie. Like the they most the important so, climax. So the, 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 it was something out of like a Saturday Night Live sketch. The uh, prosthetics guy comes running over and he goes, I got the umbilical cord. And he's like holding the umbilical cord. And I was like, we're doing it. I'm the one who read the script. No, I know. And he goes, I go, we're doing it. And everyone's like, we're really doing this. And you go, we're really doing this. And I was like, we're doing it. And we had one take and the sun was setting and like he had to open up all the way to get any exposure in the thing. And uh, my favorite part is that you made sure that I, he because first he, he was just lying there. It was just outside of me. Um, but then he made me like pull it out so you could see me like pull it out of my body. That's my favorite part of it. So you have to watch for that because okay, it's like in the uh, background, but you can clearly see. Wait, me pull but it out. but this is after it's been disconnected from the baby. Yes, yes, yeah, it was. There's a whole big first. scene where they disconnected from the baby, and that's a whole that's a whole other thing. They disconnect from the baby, and then but, it's the. But yeah, then we had one take to to do that. Um, I think, well, we had the we one and then the safety. In and January, that's it. February. So we, it's 45 minutes, sun setting. We oh. do the umbilical cord strangulation. And again, it was one of those things that we knew that there was no resets. We would have lost the sun. That we had sure. one umbilical cord. And so uh, how do you... So you know that there's some concern that people think it's like a little funny. Um, oh, yeah. How yeah. do you combat that? For go, sure, we were worried. Go all in. Yeah. Just say, fuck it. What That's is like that? The actual strangulation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we go all in. We just say at that point, you strangling someone with an umbilical cord, they're going to laugh. So fuck it. Let's just do it. But um, are you... Is your character... Was that part of her plan or she realizes she has a weapon? She had... She had no, originally, I had nothing else. Well, originally there was a fight. There was a there was a whole thing that Bobby King choreographed with like like oh. stick. We had, Bobby stu- King, we had, had our stunt yeah. doubles there rehearsing yeah. all day. And like, like rehearsing with like logs it. and like shafts yeah. of things and... We didn't have time to do it. We just, and that's the thing is you go in with this idea, you go in with this. And every day I come with a shot list. Like I come in as much as I hate reading and doing whatever. I come in very prepared. I have a shot list and I, and a lot of times I'll even write what I want the scene to be about. And so I do it for myself. So I know what, if, if I run out of time, what's the most important what's aspect the thing, of the scene. Yeah. So like we had a big fight scene that was to take place at the end of the movie mm-hmm. and we didn't have time. We had 45 minutes and we had to do just the, the, so we cut through all the fight. The stunt people were there all day, had to leave. And we just did the strangulation. Agatha doesn't fuck around. She just takes the cord and just uh, does it. Was, it. it was great, though, last night watching it because you never know how this is going to play. This was the first time I sat with an audience and watched the movie. And uh, it was it was, it was was awesome. Like that, they're, they're like, oh, no, she's not. Oh, no, she is. And then when it happened, you just hear cheers. <laughs> from then like, they just cheered. Yeah, they clapped. Yeah. That's awesome. I worked with Bobby King, too, and it was the same thing. Like, we'd have these awesome choreographed scenes and... You realize, like, you see the actors do it a couple times, and you're like, it just doesn't. It, they're going to have to spend like an hour to make this look good. Let's just you know Bobby do a way King, simpler version of it. Bobby King, who's a stunt guy. So Bobby King was a stunt coordinator. He started. I, I first time I met him was on Mother's Day. He was a stunt coordinator on Mother's Day. But he's an awesome, an awesome actor, and mm-hmm. he was actually like in, many stunt people. Yeah, right. Well, he's in Saint Agatha as one of the two male characters as an actual character, not as a stunt guy, but as a character. But he was one of the leads of the last two immersive theater, last all the immersive theater experiences. She, Bobby King played her father uh, in the Titian experience. He played the leader of the sex cult in Lust, and then was the another the, the main guy in Theater Macabre. Just did is awesome. Just I don't know if you want if that matters to you, but the actual stunt coordinator for that. Day I know it's not. I said it was not Bobby King. Oh, okay, I, good. I okay, okay. Nick Decay. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Wait, so Sabrina, now you were your first movie role is a lead role in this movie that's coming out now and yeah. it's directed by the, the director of Saw 2, 3, and 4. What's like, do you get an agent or what's your next move? Yeah, so actually uh, before before I got St. Agatha, I did not have an, any representation. 
Um, but then as soon as I booked it, uh, his lawyer is actually my lawyer now too. So she did the contracts for me and now, um, and she's awesome. And now I do have an agent. I, I, I prepped Sabrina before she took the role and I said, listen, this is something you need to know. I've had like some of the worst Rotten Tomato scores you could possibly have. Like there was the last movie I did, Abattoir, demolished the, everyone in it. And they were just like, this is shit. The people are shit. The script's shit. The directing shit. And and Sabrina is very, uh, like all, I think all artists, fragile when it comes to certain things. Like I remember when the tension experience, she was very worried about what people thought. And I said, listen, this is not you playing a side character. This is the lead. And I showed her, you went and researched some of Abattoir reviews. And I said, Mm -hmm. you need to know that you could be on the front page of Variety and they could tear you apart. They could destroy you. And this is the thing, I I used to write a blog series called What They Don't Teach You in Film School. And there's, you know, film school teaches you about lenses. They teach you how to load a camera and they teach you about linear or nonlinear editing. There should be classes on shit they don't teach you that, that filmmakers should know. Sure. And or a podcast. Exactly, or a yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, the real, and I don't know why people are scared to talk about it, but I think I struggle with demons that is never talked about in film school. I, I, I struggle with reading reviews and taking reviews personally and killing my morale when I read these reviews and knowing that my mother is in Kansas reading those same reviews because right. she's Google alerted. And like there was a review this morning that gave us zero stars. And it was so mean-spirited, and it was personal attacks. It was so... And then we actually kind of liked it because it was so horrific. It was like... And I, I said... Yeah, I was shrugging about it. But yeah. what I was going to say about Sabrina, which is amazing, is... So I, I prepped her. I said, Sabrina, listen, you got to know that this this is more than just being in the movie. This is... You're going to have to deal with LA Times. You Your picture could be up there, and they could say, this is terrible. Uh, and so the, re- the review started hitting about four days ago. Hollywood Reporter, Forbes, uh, uh, just... I, I, 30-some reviews have come out, and they target her and say, with a breakthrough performance from Sabrina Kern, with a, uh, she introduces herself to the cinema world and not, you know, keep your eye on Sabrina Kern. So congratulations on the amazing reviews right out the gate, uh, which is awesome. Thank and I feel you. like you can, I mean, we yeah. haven't seen the movie, but even from the trailer, I feel like it look. I mean, the, everything is very believable and looks amazing. And yeah. Like, it I looks mean, too as, scary for as me. As much as you can judge a movie from its trailer, I mean, it the, it looks like a performance-based movie, you know? Thank you. It's no, not yeah. about explosions. Well, it is. That's it. We, we really lucked out with our cast, but I think that it's... It's very character-driven, yeah, from everyone. Like, But everyone was so good. It was so easy to work off of everyone else. I mean, these girls are, and ladies are all so brilliant, really. Yeah. But yeah, I was terrified to read the reviews. I was terrified. Terrified of Hollywood Reporter specifically. And then when I read it, Cried for ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, because one really thing you get a positive view from Hollywood Reporter. It's another thing for them to call you out and say, mm-hmm. you know, with the I forgot what this. I'm sure you memorized it. What did it say? <laughs> no, I didn't. Just like an amazing um, first first feature performance. Oh, impressive first feature performance, and then that everything I did was very believable and truthful. And that's what that's what's crazy is because like so you read something like that. It's the it's the discrepancy of reviews. Like there was a there was a reviewer right this morning that says one of the Saint Agatha's strongest points is the music, and it says the music is intense and it's beautiful and it's haunting. And the guy that gave us zero stars says, and this music is crap. Whoever got this music <laughs> right. is crap. Exactly. And so you see that there's and so who do you listen to? We well, don't sure. listen to anyone. You just do your shit, and hopefully people will like it. If they don't, who cares? Like well, so if you're teaching this film school class on. Yeah. Reviews. What's the ultimate lesson? I, I, well, every read them every, or don't. Well, Try not to kill yourself. <laughs> every uh, person that I've spoken to that I've kind of looked up to, and I've I've been able to talk to some amazing people that I grew up watching and, and following their films, all say the same thing: don't read them. 
it might be easier for them to say that because they didn't live in the age of constant updates and right. Twitters and tweets and it, it's not it's not a real thing. So I think what you have to do is learn to detach. The way that I look at it now is I'm 40 years old and I made 14 films. Uh, I have I have I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records at this point for for having one of the strongest openings in October. And I look at these things that I've done and I'm like, that's fucking awesome. I don't care if you like my shit or not. I'm doing what I set out to do. I set out to Hollywood to be a director and I'm doing it. So sit and write your shitty reviews about me. I don't care. I'm living my dream. And uh, that's all you can do. I will remind you of that next time a negative review comes in. <laughs> I know. I remember and this is kind of like where I snapped and uh, my career began. It was not the Saw films. It was Repo. And I'll never forget this. Repo was just destroyed by the critics to, to a point of uh, almost absurdity, how how it was just destroyed. And I remember one, one afternoon, uh, Ben Lyons had a TV show called At The Movies. And uh, I saw... I didn't know this in advance. I saw images of Repo come up, and he goes, tonight we're going to be talking about the end of the year, the best, the worst, and we're going to review the new film by the Saw director, Repo, the Genetic Opera. And I told everyone to tune in. Everyone to tune in. My mom, my sister, my brother, my friends. And you didn't know what he was going to say. No idea. Uh, comes in, and Ben Lyons goes on a venomous rant calling Repo the Genetic Opera, not the worst movie of the year, the worst movie of all time. And he he was like, this is this is this is not I can't find one positive thing to say about it. It's terrible. It's it's absolutely shit. No one's gonna see this movie. He made a movie without an audience. And I remember the humiliation that washed over my body. And there was the line about there was no audience for this. He said something about there being like no audience for this movie. And myself and the co-creator said, we're gonna prove there's an audience for this movie. And I, I after the, the the couple of days of just just shame of knowing that my mom saw this and people saw this, we went to Lionsgate and we got them to give us back the movie and let us the the prints to go on a road tour and we toured the movie for maybe a hundred different stops. Mm-hmm. We four walled. I paid for the theaters. We four walled them and we created a cult community. Repo is still in theaters right now. It plays at the Vista. Uh, it, it it is in I don't know thirty cities. Uh, double bill with Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is people come up to me on the street and show me their tattoos of Repo. And, and it's crazy. It's the only movie that I, in my career that's happened where I get critics taking down their initial review or writing a second review saying that it was sure. so wow. easy to hate. But when you realize what it actually is, in the same way The Room, I guess, that people have now come and realized The Room is this crazy, fun cult hit. But I remember I got an Ain't It Cool News uh, guy comes up to me in Chicago and he first watches it, gives it a terrible review. It's a terrible review. I did this road show and he came back out to the road show and saw it with an audience. And he came up to me. He's like, listen, I wrote a shitty review. He's like, no. He's like, I was wrong. And the next day I came in and, and he had this whole thing on the front of Any Cool News. And he was like, this was wrong. He's like, "That's I, I take it back. Here's what I now say. And it was this awesome thing to, to watch. But as a filmmaker, as an artist, it destroyed me. And then I realized I got to do something about it. Every mm-hmm. movie has an audience. I could sit. I can wallow in my self-pity. I can cry. Or I could do something about it. And so we decided to do something about it. We found the audience. We took the movie to them. And now it's probably what I would say I get stopped for nine times out of ten over Saw as Repo, the movie that was considered on national TV the worst movie ever made. So yeah. and you hear that a lot like um, Austin Powers was like a horribly reviewed movie. Sure. Ghost, everyone thought was yeah. like the worst movie ever made. Really? Um, I didn't know yeah. that. Uh, but now it's like a classic. Yeah. yeah. That's because that's, I guess. So I made a movie and I remember the Daily Variety uh, review said 
the soundtrack was saccharine. And I remember the whole time I was arguing mm-hmm. with my composer, I wanted it to like you to feel good when there yeah. are good moments. And he's like, it's just so on the nose. Like, why is the music telling us what the story already is? And I was like, I don't know. It just feels good when you have like a yeah. major chord or whatever it is. And then we got that review and I was like, yeah, maybe he's right. In my next movie, I don't want to do that. Like, like yeah. I guess I think yeah. you can learn things from review if you see, read something and it resonates with you and you're like, yeah, you know what? They're right. I should learn yeah. from that and do something to different. To me, the hardest sure. review is the one that's the most reasonable, right? Yeah. Like when, like maybe you you had second guessed something or you kind of knew in, in the back of your mind, like, oh, maybe I should do this differently. And then they nail it in yeah. the review. That's way worse to me than like someone who's irrationally just decided to go on a rant yeah. and doesn't understand what the movie is meant to be. Yeah. Right. Like you need to judge a movie on its own terms. Right. Right. But and I guess so, what Darren says is like, Maybe some other reviewer loves the music, sure. right? Maybe well, like, so it is, is the, is there the is an audience. So again, and also, you can't care. You can't no, worry about it. Well, I, I try. I pretend like I don't care, but I cry myself to sleep some nights when I read it. I remember one of the ones, there's a blog I wrote about this. It's on my website, darrenlynbowsman.com. Uh, there's a whole, I did a series, like, it was what they don't teach you in film school. I was at Fantastic Fest, and I had a movie premiering Mother's Day. And this was right in the early stages where I was actually using Twitter all the time. And I remember the movie ended, and... Uh, Credits come up, and I start hearing dings on my phone. And they're still in the theater. Mm-hmm. Q&A has not started. And I pull my phone out, and I, I it was a Blackberry, I believe. And I'm seeing it. And it was like, god-awful. Bowsman should hand in his directing card. Right after that, yeah. holy shit, Bowsman's like, best. The people are still in the <laughs> yeah, room. Yeah, in the theater. So they're You're in like, the theater. I see you tweeting, man. So, but, <laughs> but what happened was, so, so I see the first two. And then I see the next two, and it's just like, bravo, Bowsman outdid himself. And I'm like, and I, I'm seeing this this divide happen with critics that I really respect. Mm-hmm. And you have some of them are being like, this is shit. And the other people are being like, this is amazing. And then I've realized that throughout my career, it's something I've seen that that I, I don't really have, I don't think I've ever made a movie that everyone's like, yeah, that's good. Or no, that's terrible. It's always the love it or hate it, the repo, the devil's carnival, the these things. And I'm okay with that too. I, I mean, I would love nothing more than have a movie that critics and peers respected. It's also kind of badass being on national TV, being like, that's the worst movie ever made, and then going down to the theater and seeing kids lined up, dancing, singing, doing whatever. And a, a caveat to that sort of the final punctuation. Maybe a few weeks later, we're at a premiere, and Leonard Moulton walks up to us mm-hmm. and goes, you're the guys that did Repo the Genetic Opera. I liked that film a lot. <laughs> and in his book, he gave it a great review, and I'm like, that's holy great. shit, that's amazing. Yeah. So it just goes to show you. Uh, Leonard Moulton. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, so before we go... Yeah. Um, can you give us two tip, two other tips that filmmakers shouldn't learn? So I love love asking for good tips yeah. at the end. Or he's like love the prescriptive, like the sound yeah. bite is the, his dream. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously people can check out your blog at darrenlynnbozeman.com. Um, two tips for filmmakers. The people are like, oh, I read this on your blog and this really made a difference to me. Well, I'll tell you my biggest piece of advice for filmmakers, and I've said this in the past, I'm going to say it again here. I'm a failure. I have failed 99.9% of the time. Uh, I've been fired off jobs. I have had just massive failures in my life, but I got saw two, and that was the one success I had. And then I have 199 failures, and then I get saw three or repo. The difference is not that I'm not the greatest filmmaker of the people that I went to film school with. There were... 75% of those kids were better than me. The difference was I stuck with it. And I got kicked in the balls and I said, fuck it, I'm doing it again. I don't care. And I stayed. And the difference is these friends of mine that were extremely talented and extremely like badasses behind the camera, Hollywood beat them down and they couldn't deal with it and they left. 
And I ducked and weaved and I got a thicker skin and, and I stayed and then I got these things. So talent definitely comes in. It absolutely comes in. But you have to be willing to fail if you're ever going to find that success. And most people give up. So the first thing I would say is is embrace the failure as much as you do the success. For me, at least, if I would have left every time I wanted to, when I was getting fired off X-Files, when Tara Reid fired me, when all this stuff happened, if I didn't stay, I would never be here. I saw two would never have happened with me. I would not be on this podcast now. I would not be talking to Sabrina. Uh, so, Which is amazing. <laughs> uh, so that's number one. The second piece of advice uh, – do what you think is cool. And I think that for me, and this is just my my thing, is I've never been able to color in the lines of everyone else. I've always done projects that I like and things that I want to see. And I'm still here. Uh, where a lot of my friends, again, that are more talented than me are, are, are going away. And I think that you have to believe in your project more than any other single person in the entire world. And if you don't believe in your project, then how can you ask anyone else to? I will live and die by everything that I do. It might be terrible, but it's my fault that it's terrible, not anyone else's. So I would think that you have to believe in whatever it is you do more than any single person. That's awesome. awesome. Sabrina, I want to ask, do you have any thoughts that you wish you could have told yourself before you were starring in your first movie? Honestly, I think for me, the biggest thing was honestly to piggyback on what Darren said is the, the thick skin. Mm-hmm. Because what I, like to me, the whole getting the audition process was kind of terrifying because you know to me when I when you hear that a director and director like Darren want says like oh I want you to be the lead first of all you don't believe it for a few days but then when he keeps saying it you think okay that well that's going to be easy if the director wants you to be in the movie that's like mm-hmm. that's a done deal and then you find out it's not at all obviously because the producers and everyone and you know I, I think there was a lot in there where uh, with that audition process and with a lot of different opinions about me mm-hmm. and with Darren already at that point kind of being my friend and, and showing me emails that mm-hmm. other people didn't know I read. That, Darren that saying I things like, to, don't mess this up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I had to get a really <laughs> thick skin for that. But I think it's important as an actor to not take things personally and to, to also realize it's... It's not you personally, it's you as an actor, it's you as a business that you have to sell. Mm-hmm. So just somebody saying that maybe they don't want you for something, you you can't take it personally, right. even though it sometimes literally comes down to what you look like. Sure. And that is that is terrifying, yeah. But I don't know, yeah, just don't think, take things just don't personally. Worry about have it. a yeah. thick skin. I still don't. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm bullshitting here, guys. I'm like sure, sure. so <laughs> thin-skinned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you even as a director, when we're not really judged by our looks as much, um, you just in, when you when someone when you're up for a job and you're not hearing back a couple of days. I mean, the stories that oh, go yeah. through my head of what must be happening. Oh, the other director is probably negotiating the rate, and they're still holding me to make in case that doesn't work out. Like you know, I just start totally, going nuts. Totally, well, yeah. Or I'm going on set, and I thought like. Oh, all the other actresses go—they're going to hate me because they have so much more experience. They're going to be like, oh, "This bitch is coming. No experience. Right. She's the lead. What the hell?" And it was the complete opposite. I'm sure I also got lucky, but everyone was just cross the bridge when you get there. Is what I'm saying. Don't worry about it first. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, uh, this was great. Uh, let's hop into unpaid endorsements. Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. I feel like. You know, we talked about this on the last last podcast that this year I'm like actively trying to like just have lunches and dinners with other filmmakers. And, yeah. you know, since I had a kid, I tend to not 
go out as much. And so yeah. now I realize that it's part of my job is to like go hang out with people. And, you know, I'm meeting someone that lives in like Marina Del Rey and I'm trying to figure out where to meet them in Culver City. Um, most of you probably know about this, but my new thing is I just go to Eater LA. Um, you know, it's a website with kind of all the best restaurants in LA. And I just like look at it. They'll always have for the current month, like the 50 hottest sure. restaurants of January or whatever. January and you 2019. can look at a map and be like, oh, well, we're, we need yeah. to meet in Culver City. So there are three great places. Yeah. So it's always kind of like fun. I feel like you already like when you're meeting someone that you're a little nervous about, you can already be like, oh, this restaurant's supposed to be good. You already have like all this stuff to talk about. Yeah. And it's that's fun cool. to try new restaurants. And that's how I... I've been like finding locations as opposed to like asking for recommendations or going to the same place every time. So yeah, that's cool. There's also like a little bit of like currency with it. Like, you know, if you're not like a sports guy and like, you know, you're going to be talking about movies with these people already, like having another thing that everybody can talk about, like restaurants are a thing that I think people are, you know, it's very cool. So eat or LA. Talk about food. I I love it. Matt, you got anything? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got one actually that's even more abstract than that. I I just got back from uh, Russia and then Prague right afterwards, and it reminded me of how the first Mission Impossible movie is uh, takes place in Prague, the beginning. <laughs> and so I decided to rewatch all of the Mission Impossible movies in a row. Like all the way up to the last one? Yeah. The Tom yeah, Cruise yeah. helicopter one? So I'm, I'm one? almost done, but what's been really fun about it is I just love having like a some sort of like movie watching project like trying to watch the entire oeuvre of a director or like everything in a series or something like that it's like really uh it's super fun because like you think of them in a different way in a different context and they can be kind of like stupid dumb popcorn movies like mission impossible or you can be like oh like i want to get through you know some fancy pants director that you haven't seen all you could watch every kurosawa movie if you wanted to or something um, so it's really fun to do that. And it gives you like a little bit more motivation to actually sit down and watch a movie, you know, yeah. rather than just like, oh, I heard this is good. We should watch this next. I guess I the like very that. easy one this time of year is like trying to watch all the Oscar nominees. Obviously, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a perfect thing. So so I'm saying like give yourself a themed movie watching goal. And then you're not just like scrolling through <laughs> yeah. Netflix and like, eh, this looks. Yeah. I know what I'm going to watch tomorrow. I don't yeah, have yeah. to like spend sure. 10 minutes thinking about it. I, I just read a book on my way to Philadelphia four days ago um, that's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Have you guys read it yet? By no, Mark yeah. Manson. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it, yeah. um, but so I haven't read airports. it. It's, yeah. it's, it's actually really good. And because I'm Is it about you. reviews, film reviews? No, but it can be. It actually can be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I'm the type of person that gives all of the fucks. All the fucks. So <laughs> literally all the fucks. So I... I really recommend it. It's cool. It's not, you know, it's a quick read, I feel like, for me. Yeah, it is. if it's an airport book, I kind of, I've, yeah, I've been it's looking like, for know, one it's like, like that. This, I don't, I don't know yeah. how many pages, but it's, it's cool. Six bathroom breaks. And I honestly, Darren is going to hate me for this because he's never going to do it, but I really recommend doing the whole 30 because I'm on it right now and I feel no. really, really feel good. good. No, no sugar, guys. It's yeah, for 30 good. days. No sugar, no gluten, no dairy. No, thank you. It's, it's, I mean, <laughs> I, I sound so incredibly annoying. But. You're like an occult. You're just I know. Like, you well, yeah, about. I learned from the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've recently got into, and I'm driving everyone I know crazy, including Sabrina. Uh, I've gotten into card magic and sleight of hand. <laughs> yeah. uh, there was an Instagram guy named John Stessel who uh, I love his videos. And uh, I just reached out to him and we've started, 
he's literally starting to tutor me on how to do sleight of hand stuff. And it's led me down this dark rabbit hole of reading every book on mentalism I can find and every book on mm. which mentalism leads to psychology and psychology leads to whatever. And so it, what I love about this, and, I, and again, card magic and uh, sleight of hands. And, uh, do you know Lior Suchard? What, what is it? Lior Suchard. He's a mentalist, the no. Israeli guy. No. He's kind of, do you know Uri Geller? He was like so, the guy that would bend spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know Ray Geller. So he's like his like protege, um, and he's I've endorsed him before because I've just like well, watched his videos for like hundreds so of hours. I'm reading um, this thing, this book now called Thirteen Steps to Mentalism. I think that's what the name of it is, and it's just it's it's great because uh, I get so wrapped up in my head about movies and notes and mm-hmm. reviews. I need something to completely take my mind off of it. And what's great about so it's this all leads to what my endorsement is is I'm learning cardistry, which is how to do things with cards, how to, you know, do, it's not even tricks, it's how to do things with your cards. And what that does is it's such a tension reliever because if I always carry cards with me now, everywhere I go, I carry cards and I'm doing flips and I'm doing card breaks and, and all these things. And I, I find myself now actually more relaxed than I've been. I'm usually just always on edge. Uh, and I live right next door to this place called the Magic Apple, which is a magic store. And I, I'm like a kid in the candy store. Like I'm a grown man walking in and getting giddy about these tricks. Uh, He'll but FaceTime me and just magic. and just and just do a quick bit, and then because he's like, and then I said, can you not do it for Laura, his wife? And he's like, no, she, she will. She will walk away when I start doing the trick, and that's what I want to do. I want to walk away. Yeah, so aren't supposed to repeat your tricks in front of people? Yeah. Right? No, You're I like, know. Uh, sorry, it's a yeah. double lift, not a triple yeah. lift. Exactly. I love the guys yeah. that like you. You're talking to them, and then you realize that, like, your watch, you, no, not the watch thing, but like, they'll just oh. move things without you noticing so at all. My, Clint, and you're looking right at them. The writer of Saint, one of the writers of Saint Agatha, and the tension experience. We went to the Magic Castle a few months ago, and we're sitting in a bar, and we're just having a conversation with this guy. And I'm commenting on Clint's. He has a he, he collects watches. And I was commenting on his watch, and we're talking, and we have a single drink. And the magician <laughs> sitting next to us goes, any of you guys have the time? And Clint goes to his thing. And he goes, no, never mind. I got it. And he's wearing Clint's watch. Not only did he get the watch off, he put the watch on all the entire time while talking to us. And it's just like, that, that's awesome to me. Like being able to yeah, to be able to misdirect you that much that you're not noticing that your watch is being taken, that he's putting it on, that your watch is even gone for that time. It was, it's, I love that. Cool. Well, great endorsement. Yeah, so, killer endorsement. So if we want to find out more about St. Agatha's, um, just Google St. Agatha movie? Is yes, uh, St. Agatha. We're in theaters, select theaters. We're on On Demand, a VOD, uh, iTunes. Uh, and follow us on the social interwebs. Social interwebs. Oh, yes. Sab yeah. Kern. <laughs> oh, me. I don't know what any of my things are. Sab Kern. You're Darren S-A-B-K-E-R-N. Yes. On Twitter and everything? Instagram? No, I'm so bad on Twitter. I just Instagram. retweet things. Um, no, yeah. I'm, I'm Darren Bowsman on Instagram. And how do you spell Bowsman? B-O-U-S-M-A-N. And I'm on the Twitters. Darren the Twitters. Under, we Darren always Anderson. do fun stories together. It's really great. Uh, my, my last final point. This, this is something that made me really happy. Someone, uh, and I'll, I'll stop at this. Uh, someone wrote a really shitty comment on St. Agatha. Uh, and we get alerts. And I forgot what it was. It was like, it was at a film festival. The film festival guy. Remember how we commented on his posts and we just kept. Oh yeah. Okay. So no, he, no, no. But his his wasn't. It wasn't even. Oh shitty. no! It was cute. It was a good review. It was like Anna and Kendrick. He, said, he goes, but they they cast the poor man's Anna Kendrick, and so <laughs> they but didn't it was, say poor man, Darren. <laughs> you're making it worse. It was a good review. <laughs> but but here, okay. So he wrote he wrote the review and he, but it was not. It was it was a it couple was of slides. It, it was, was a couple of slides about Anna Kendrick and you being like Anna Kendrick. So here's the best part. 
it was foreign and and we translated it. We saw what he said. So her and I decided just to comment on it and just be totally cool and being like, yeah, she does kind of look like Anna Kendrick. And then she commented, no, I don't. And then we literally had a thread that was like at least 20 threads deep. And then he just deleted his post and it made us both really sad. Darren's yeah. trying to tell you that we're really funny. We really are. It was a really funny. It was a you really, wouldn't so guess from this interview. If you follow but us on the interweb, you can yeah. watch our antics. But it also sounds like if you want to get a message to Darren, yeah. director this, of yeah, three yeah. saws and repo and Saint Agatha. Just tweet me and I'm just write a comment on. Uh, and I'll yeah. find it. Totally. There you go. Oh, he's yeah. gonna see it. Yeah. Well, you can find uh, all of their social media links and uh, all of the stuff that we talked about on the show uh, on our show notes at, at justshootapod.com. Yeah, and we're on all the social media at Just Shoot a Pod, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you have any questions or comments about this, email us at justshootapod at gmail Leave us an iTunes review if you don't mind. It helps us a lot. And, uh, yeah, this episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt. It was edited by Jay McAuliffe, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks. Thank Thank you. you.